0: To get the most out of your career as a physician, you need an employment contract that supports you. Unfortunately, most contracts do not initially include everything you need to be successful. Employers draft contracts with their best interests in mind, but the terms that benefit your employer are rarely as valuable to you. Before signing an employment contract, you should always make sure your salary, bonuses, paid time off, and other terms are fair. Resolve is the one and only place you can get live salary data so you know exactly what's happening in your specialty at all times. The best part is that data is verified from real physician contracts. With access to data on what physicians like you are earning, you know when you are being underpaid and can confidently ask for what you deserve. In addition to providing data, They are the number one firm specializing in physician employment contracts. They work with every specialty nationwide. At Resolve, you get connected with an experienced attorney who will work with you one-on-one to ensure you sign with confidence. Your attorney will take your priorities into account, address your concerns, make suggestions, and help you strategize for any negotiations. They can even negotiate with an employer on your behalf. So whether you are a seasoned attending or just finishing training, Resolve is here to support you every step of the way. Visit Resolve.com to learn more and discover how to sign your ideal employment contract. Resolve, your trusted partner for physician contract review negotiations and salary data.
1: Hey, Laura, thanks for joining me today.
2: Hey, Daniel. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, so we were just talking about your lemonade stand experience yesterday. I I passed Laura, we were going to dinner or lunch after church yesterday, and I thought I saw Laura out rocking a lemonade stand. So tell me about that. Was that you and what were you all? What was the story on that?
2: <laughs> yeah, so I have four kids and two of my daughters with the neighbor have been talking about a lemonade stand for weeks and weeks and weeks, and they've been planning when they could have a lemonade stand. So the mom down the street, they have this cute little stand. she got it all set up and it became teamwork and so many kind people just stopped by and would buy lemonade and give a donation. They're like, what are you raising money for? And the little girl was like, I want modeling clay. And the mom was like, and we're going to give a portion to DSEC, which is the Down Syndrome Association of Central Kentucky. So the girls learned some teamwork and they learned how to give back to our community.
1: Nice. Yeah, I'm going to use the excuse so we didn't stop. Uh My excuse is I was not driving the car. So
2: Uh I
1: don't and I don't think my wife saw you. So
2: Uh, I will talk to Alice.
1: So anyway, next time we'll stop.
2: Yeah, we will do it again.
1: Yeah, good, good, cool. Well, so what we were going to talk about today, I I would say you guys are living a very rich life. You have a lot of good things going on and you've had several particularly uh, special or, you know. Uh, blessing experiences along the way that that we were going to get into today so one of those in particular is scarlet so we're going to talk hopefully get into a little bit more about the story and that blessing in particular but uh, before we get into that can we kind of wind back the clock a little bit and maybe talk about what the yost family life looked like before scarlet
2: yeah so yes scarlet is our youngest of four And I remember before Scarlett, like, just joking around with my friends about, you know, how easy it is to have babies. And not that it's easy, but, like, I embrace the chaos. She has very typically developing siblings. Actually, they're probably more on, like, the gifted side. So, like, we've never had to work for anything. Like, it's just, been you send them to preschool, they come home, they're starting to know how to read. One of her sisters, like, learned how to read when she was four when we were teaching Big Brother how to read. So like everything's just been pretty like normal or more advanced for her siblings and it was just a very like do whatever we want whenever we want and we didn't really have to think about like school you like hey can i come to school is there a spot available you give some money you drop off your kid and life is very different when your child is different so Scarlett has down syndrome and even like the things that have been hard like we She is like amazing and we're so happy we have her and we wouldn't change it. But it's very interesting how, like you said, she's a blessing. Other people, they don't mean it or I don't think they mean it, but they would be like, oh, well, poor you. Like you have a child with Down syndrome or what a cross to bear. Like that's something that people have said. Yeah, there's challenging challenges, but they're not her it's more the world we live in. So her having Down syndrome is not really that big of a challenge, but people thinking certain things about her because she has Down syndrome, like that she's not able or capable or like things like that are more challenging. But yes, she has to work harder, but you help your kids do what they need help with. Like that's just part of being a parent. So that part, you know, there's challenges with it, but the hardest part is more of, not having as much support as you would think, looking from the outside before we had her. So
1: Chris is a physician. You were a math teacher, right? Did you call it a day taking a break?
2: Yep. So I was a math teacher before I had kids. And then I became a stay-at-home mom. when I After I had my first son, I finished the school year. A school approached me and asked me if I would come teach this past year. And I said, well, as long as my kids are settled, I'll do that. And they had never had a child with Down syndrome at their school. And I said, well, can Scarlett come to school? And they said, well, our school's full. And I was like, well, if a spot becomes available, can she come? Oh, well, it's definitely worth the conversation. If you work here, that is a step in the right direction. And Scarlett coming to our school, which wasn't exactly the truth. So
1: that's that's coming to an end.
2: Yeah. Gotcha. So I just said that I don't participate in any spaces that she is not only welcome but wanted so I will no longer work at that school
1: so let's go back to so everything was sounds like you have kind of a pretty normal life and going back to the point where you're expecting Charlotte and she's at what point does the do things start to get To seem or feel like maybe things are going
2: a different direction. Yeah. So at our 20 week ultrasound, my husband went with me to the appointment. Everything looked fine. We found out she was a girl. He went on to work, and I'm at the doctor's office. And they say, This looks good. This looks good. This looks good. And they're going through the list and they're like, Oh, by the way, she has an echogenic focus. It's a little bright spot on her heart. I should mention some babies with Down syndrome have this but typical babies have them too. We'll read ultrasound at 35 weeks to see if we see any other markers. I was offered blood work at the time, but I knew that I wouldn't change my pregnancy due to blood work or what it said. I also don't like needles. And she was my fourth kid. Like we've already done this three times. Like her sister before her, they said she was too little and they took her early and she was a whole pound bigger. So I just wasn't super concerned, and at 35 weeks we re-ultrasound, and there were no soft markers for Down syndrome. So like at that point, it was totally off the table. Like we didn't think she would have it. We didn't really think about it or worry about it. And then whenever she was born, um, they handed her to me, and you know I hugged her and kissed her and all those things, and I passed her off to the nurse to get cleaned up. And I looked at my husband. I was like, do you think she has Down syndrome? And he said, maybe. Well, he's a physician. And unfortunately, he's always right. Unfortunate for me, because that means I'm wrong, which isn't quite (laughs) as much fun. But he said, maybe. And I knew that maybe meant yes. So I asked the nurse, do you think she has Down syndrome? And the nurse looked at her for like three seconds and was like, yep. Yes, she does. And I was like, oh, and I didn't know anyone with Down syndrome. So, like, for me, what I knew before her was it was this scary, bad, hard thing that you don't you have all your babies before you're thirty five so your baby doesn't have Down syndrome when, in reality, I just didn't know what it meant to have meant to have a child with Down syndrome because she's not scary or bad, she's actually pretty awesome, and she makes our family better
1: so you the initial feelings that that second that you realized it, which I guess, first of all, so I have a younger brother with Down syndrome and autism. I don't know if we've talked about this, but, and I was younger when this all happened, but I think it took a while for my, my mom to find out. I mean, maybe they were suspicious of it, but it felt like it was kind of a der- extended. Maybe they didn't, weren't ready to tell her. I don't know, but it sounded yeah. like you found out like very fast. Is that yeah. normally how it works?
2: So for a birth diagnosis, I found out really fast. A lot of people, maybe 50-50, find out, you know, at a time, I don't know the stats, we'd have to look it up. I know someone who's like, baby was in the NICU for months and they didn't find out their baby had Down syndrome until they were like six months old. So it really, you know, it can vary. I think the fact that... I knew to ask, made it a little bit different. And one thing that was interesting is like my OB couldn't tell me, even though she delivered my child and before she was born, she could say, we think your child has Down syndrome. Once she was born, she wasn't allowed to tell me that she has Down syndrome, even though she suspected it. She had to call PEDS and get someone at PEDS to come down and talk to us because mm-hmm. she's not a pediatrician. Yeah, It would take until, you know, a pediatrician came down. Well, since I was questioning it, they sent someone faster, but you're there for three days. I don't know. Yeah.
1: So what were the, some of the initial feelings? It sounds like when you found out there was a little bit of, you know, challenge feeling like it's maybe.
2: Oh yeah. I mean, I thought that like my life was over. My kids' lives were over. Like I felt so guilty for like allowing her to have down syndrome, which I know makes no sense. But as a parent, you can find ways to like blame mm-hmm. yourself. Like I felt guilty for allowing her to have down syndrome. I wo- like worried a lot about her siblings. So at this time, her brother was in kindergarten, and she had two little sisters in preschool. And all I could think was, oh my gosh, will people be mean to them because of her? Like, will they get left out because she's different? Like, what does this look like for our family? How's it going to change it? Like, where can she go to preschool? Which, you know, sounds silly, but it actually has been a really big challenge. So even though it was kind of a silly worry at the time, her going to preschool has really been a challenge for our family. And she's four and she's potty trained and she's nice and she's kind and she's well-behaved. But because she has down syndrome, people automatically think that, oh, well, she's going to be hard and we can't incorporate her in our class when she incorporates in our family just fine. She does everything her siblings do, you know, and I'm one parent. I take all four of them to the pool by myself and she is fine and she is healthy and she's kind the whole time, you know? So, but yeah, I really worried. Ooh, I worried about like our friendships. Like I'm a like I started younger as a mom and that was intentional because I wanted a big family. So a lot of my friends, their kids that are my kids age. They have some older kids. So they were finished. I'm like, not only do I have the youngest kid, but then I have a kid who's different. Like, well, my friends still want to be my friends. Like, and it's all silly. And it sounds silly now, but, and then health wise, like 50% of babies with down syndrome have a heart defect. So like one of the first things we did were like, how's her heart? Is her heart healthy? And we had like an echo in the hospital and thankfully her heart is healthy and we didn't have to endure, you know, heart surgery, which many of her friends have had to do.
1: Yeah. It, so it a lot of these feelings, and I think that's what happens when you get like big time news that's especially unknown or has these cultural misconceptions, you kind of <laughs> Go right down the path of like worst case scenario, you start getting in the fear world or whatnot. And it sounds like that's kind of where you went with it.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so, what was it like? I know that things have changed dramatically in your experience. You've kind of already alluded to that. But what was it like early on, like, you know, first six months, or I guess, how quickly did your perspective of the whole thing change from wh- what it was like initially to? kind of a complete 180
2: yeah I think about so the second day in the hospital I had a sister who was texting we're praying to God that Scarlett won't have down syndrome you know Uh, and at that point like I got really defensive and it's like so you think she's not good enough because she's good enough for me she's got to be good enough for you so like at that point I pretended To be strong and to be okay and all that. So it was, you know, I told our family, I'm like, you know what? She was made this way. And if she didn't have Down syndrome, she'd be a different baby. So I need you all to be where I am. And at this point, she deserves to be celebrated like her siblings were. And that's what we're going to do. So we are going to celebrate her. That's all we're going to do. You know, I had some girlfriends who thankfully had experience with individuals with Down syndrome and they came to see me at the hospital and instead of being like, oh, well, let me see her markers or, oh, she doesn't look like she has Down syndrome. They were like, let me hold that baby. And like, they just let her be a baby. And it was probably like the greatest gift they could give me. So I started pretending pretty quickly that like I was okay. But like every night I put her to bed and I would like kiss her and I would read online and research as much as I could about Down syndrome. And I would just tears rolling on my face to the point that a few weeks in my husband was like, do I need to get you help? (laughs) And I was like, I just need to like learn and I need to find other people like us and I need to figure out what to do. Like... I don't care that she has Down syndrome, but I want to make her have the best life I can help her have. So what do I do? How do I do it? Thankfully, DSAC, they have the Down Syndrome Association in Central Kentucky. They have like packets that they leave at the hospitals. And we got one of those while we were at the hospital. So I had some books that I could read and learn. And I had a registration form so I could tell them that I existed. So once I like joined the Facebook page and other moms who had kids close to my age could reach out and we could be friends. And I could just see like, oh, that family looks like our family and they can do this. We can do this, you know, and just knowing that we weren't alone was really helpful. And then I read a book. It's called The Lucky Feel. And it's this mom who she struggled with infertility. And she was adopting a child and she paid lots of money to go through a private agency so she could get a healthy child. But she ended up choosing to adopt a little girl with Down syndrome. And just her perspective and how she felt like this was a gift from God. And he wrapped it up in beautiful paper and put a big bow on it. Like, how can I say no to this? That really helped me like shift my thinking. And a scarlet is a gift. And we're going to treat her like a gift and we'll help her along the way. But if I don't let others know she's a gift, then they think she's a burden and she's not a burden. Does that Mm -hmm. make sense?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's just a completely different perspective. And I can see where you go down the path. Probably most people start out on the path of burden and challenge and, but you flipped totally the other direction, the blessing and it's, rewarding and I was reading an article I think you contributed to it or wrote it about your story and you said she's made your life richer and fuller and I thought that was a kind of a good summary of what's what does that look like though I mean what is a richer and fuller look life look like for the Yost household
2: yeah yeah richer and fuller is what I always tend to like fall back on and I don't know why but just somehow like she does, she makes it richer and fuller. So all of my kids know sign language because of her. And I think that's really cool. So like her eight-year-old sister is like at school teaching other kids sign language. She's at gymnastics. She's teaching other kids sign language. And I just think that's really neat that because of her, like we would never know sign language if it wasn't for her. I mean, we would know more and all done because people tend to teach their babies that, but I mean- we know more than 200 signs, And I think that's really neat. I also feel like Scarlett, like attracts people to us. Like people are attracted to her and like, they like want to be around her and learn more about her and like kids, adults, like people of all ages, like on the playground, she's sometimes the most popular kid. (laughs) And I think it is so funny and so cute, that because of her, there's friendships that we would have never had. And it, has helped shift like our perspective and our way of thinking. So, you know, I have these typically developing kids and they're more on the gifted side. Her brother's in a gifted program. And sometimes you think bigger, faster, stronger, like, okay, let's, you know, educate you. Let's make sure you have a great job. Let's make sure you have a ton of money. Da, 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 da. But that doesn't always lead to happiness. So it's like, okay, let's have a very fulfilled life. And I mean, hopefully some trips to Hawaii are sprinkled in there and, you know, that they are successful, but more than them being successful, like I want them to be happy, kind humans, you know? And if they're happy, kind humans, hopefully the success will come with that. Instead of just thinking, okay, you have to be the smartest kid in the class. You have to be the hardest working kid in the class. Well, I also want you to be the kindest kid in the class. And I would rather you be the kindest Than the one with the best grades.
1: It's interesting that you bring those up together as competing interests a little bit. Yeah. It's like the American dream, I guess, is winning. You know, you could say it's a power, uh, capitalism is a lot about like beating the competition. And the problem with that or the downside of that is beating someone else, the person, there's other people involved and they have feelings too. So how has she been able to help you with that? I mean, that that is a interesting thing to say about a child teaching a parent <laughs> how to, I have kids, so I kind of get that. Yeah, They teach you in little ways, they sprinkle it in and they're, or they're just a mirror to you. Sometimes they just show you kind of what you're doing that you realize is ridiculous. And, but what does that look like with her is,
2: yeah, I think it's really just helped me have like everyone talks about, oh, you want a growth mindset. And like, I've never really thought about that. But like, I really like for myself and my children and my family, we're very growth mindset people. So like my daughters are gymnasts and they're competitive gymnasts. But I don't care if they win. And maybe I should because the parents who carry their kids usually win. But it's like, I don't care if you win. I just want you to be growing and learning. So, like, I want your handstand to be better than it was last time. And, like, even with Scarlett, like, I don't care if she's the most successful person with Down syndrome, and those are the people we tend to hear about, like, the ones that graduate from college or do a triathlon or, you know, whatever. She doesn't, I don't need to put that pressure on her. She just has to be her best, and she has to keep learning and growing. So, even if that's at a different rate than her same age peers, as long as she's learning and growing, she is succeeding because she's making progress. Does mm-hmm. that make sense?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a, So we talk a lot about money on this podcast and, and how it kind of ties its way into all sorts of things. And it does t- seem to tie its way into everything. But I think there's a big difference between money being the focus and life being the focus. It's kind of like, you oh i notice people where money is the sole focus or you know winning it's kind of goes along with the whole when you brought that up it reminded me it's like winning money power all that kind of goes in with one category and then living an enjoyable life or love i guess would be like loving your neighbor and living living a good life is kind of on the other spectrum and it's interesting that sh- she has helped you kind of move more the direction of the ladder, right?
2: Yeah. Well, and I mean, the whole point of money is to make your life better and easier, and you know what I mean.
1: Well, not for so, everybody.
2: Right. So the point of money to me,
1: <laughs> let's to make, clarify.
2: You know, your life easier and better, and you know all of that stuff. But also, I, you know, I have had a very privileged life. So for me, money, like. I've never had to worry about money. So, I mean, it is a big deal because we need money to live and survive and all that, but I've never had to worry about it. So, I think maybe I see it differently. I don't know.
1: Yeah. You have lots of, with a good financial position, that gives you lots of different choices. And, and I know it's, uh, you, we had talked before about this and with children and as a parent, you want to, give them, you know, all the best of everything and take the best care of them and put them in the best position to succeed. And you're going to, if they need something, you're going to want to try to provide it. And you had mentioned uh, therapy and physical therapy, speech therapy, all these different costs and uh, things that have come along. And that being sometimes a challenge, what does that look like for you? And what does, and you said insurance does not cover it, correct?
2: So from birth until three in Kentucky, we have a thing called First Steps and they'll offer like early intervention. So Scarlett was able to have speech, PT and OT through First Steps, but it's only a certain amount of minutes a month. So you have to kind of play with those, like which one is most important and maybe we'll do an hour of speech and then 45 minutes of PT and 45 minutes of OT. So you have to kind of play with those numbers to get all the therapy in that is recommended for your child who has Down syndrome. Um, But then once they turn three, they're cut off from that and they're sent to Fayette County Public Schools and they can go to preschool. And while they're at preschool, they can have therapy. So I think Scarlett's plan originally was 20 minutes of speech, either once or twice a week. And then 20 minutes of PT and OT once a week. So it's significantly less therapy. I'm not there for it. Within the public school, since all the kids are on an IEP, they won't let parents like just come in and volunteer. So how your wife can just go to school and volunteer and help with the kids and like at public school, I'm welcome once a month for story time. And that's the only time I'm welcome in her classroom because they say that other kids have an IEP and they're like identifying who those kids are. And I'm like, I'm going to see them in the yearbook, but okay. So significantly less therapy through Fayette County. And then when COVID happened, there was therapy via zoom. So we're talking about my three-year-old physical therapy, physical, yeah, physical therapy, speech therapy, and occupational therapy were all offered via zoom during COVID. And I, you know, played the game for a while. And we tried it and we did it until summer. And when school was starting back, I was like, we will not do this. We all feel like failures. It is a waste of time and energy. You want my three-year-old who, can, who has speech and language delays to participate on a computer for therapy. Like, that's not going to cut it. And I begged and asked and wrote emails and nobody would do anything about it. So we ended up doing therapy privately. So the problem with private therapy is what are there 52 weeks in a year? Okay. There's 52 weeks in a year and we get 42 visits with our insurance to cover all the therapies. So then which one do we choose? You know, so we don't, we have about a third of the amount of therapy, actually less than a third of the amount of therapy covered by insurance that we need. But if we, weren't successful people then as soon as she was born in the hospital someone would have set her up for a medical card and then she'd have all her therapy paid for so but since we don't meet that criteria now we're at the place like we don't have enough money that we can pay cash for therapy but we're not poor enough that we qualify for help so what do we do so we pick can choose which one's most important. And it's different depending on your season of life. Before she was walking, it was PT. Now that she's walking, it's probably speech. So she can communicate with her teachers and her peers. Yeah, that's a challenge for sure.
1: And it's like a challenge of upper, I guess, an upper middle income challenge when you have, I guess, if you had a very high income, you could, you'd be able to afford whatever versus if you're low enough income, you get the benefits, the government provided benefits kick in and cover a lot of that
2: and like the amount the insurance company pays versus like if your private pay those prices just skyrocket so like maybe the insurance will pay fifty dollars a visit but for me it'd be three hundred you know what i mean like it just it's like well okay i'll look up some things for therapy and we'll just do it at home you know what i mean like for three hundred dollars a pop like that adds up pretty quick
1: right yeah it's expensive so you just have to kind of prioritize and pick what's how do you feel about your multiple siblings and equalizing and I feel like there's a lot of parents and families and this is more from me working as a financial planner I see their money stuff and I get to see them how they handle money with, a, with their family and there's a often most common there's this tendency to want to make everything equal financially for all their children and I kind of get it I guess you know as a parent you want to be equal but does that how do you feel about that? And is it, does do you have the same feeling there or do you, is there, and so another, just little side note on that is my sibling and my parents, I'm like, you all pass any inheritance, all go to him. He's, we don't need help financially. We're good. But I still think they feel that they want to kind of equalize things. But
2: so do you know that I have a sibling with a disability as well? So, oh, cause you probably saw him at the gala. So whenever I was in second grade, my 16 year old brother was in a car accident and he has a traumatic brain injury. One thing that we talked about before this was that like you, whenever you have a disability to have those government benefits, like you can't have any money. So like a lot of individuals with disabilities, they have to have like a third party trust. So like, Chris and I cannot just give money to Scarlett because she'll lose all our benefits and she may or may not have a job that provides insurance and all those benefits. And we can't think on that. So she'll have to have a third party trust for that inheritance. But, and I also think like one thing, and I don't know if you've ran into this Daniel is like, they teach these individuals with disabilities, like, Oh, you can't have more than $3,000 in your checking account or you don't qualify for more benefits. So we're teaching people to be irresponsible with money. Like, instead of saying, hey, we're so proud of you for saving your money. You need
1: to blow some money.
2: you still get your benefits. It's, hey, you were so responsible that we're going to quit giving you benefits, which is just the wrong way to teach these individuals. Huge problem. But, you know, I guess I haven't thought that much about Scarlett that I have thought about my sibling. And he needs the money more than we do. Yes, it would be fun to inherit some money. Let's be honest. Like that would be a lot of fun. But we're talking about his basic needs. We're talking about him having a home, him having food, him having clothes. He ha- he needs a caretaker. So he needs that money more than Chris and us. So we're going to let him starve to death while we go to Hawaii. Like it makes no sense, you know. So for my own kids, you know, we have talked about... I think, I can't remember with our lawyer what we did, but she gave us a lot of guidance of, you know, this is what she would typically need. And it might be like, she gets 50% and the siblings split the other 50%. So I do know that we set it up that because she needs more, you know, her siblings, they can, you know, they're going to be able to provide for themselves and she might too, but we can't think on that.
1: Yeah. It's interesting that these siblings it's, it might almost be even easier for the being a sibling thinking of it as, you know, they need all the help they can get versus a parent. It's almost, it's harder to think that away because you assume that, no.
2: Well, they want you to know that you, that they love you and they appreciate right. you and all that and all the things you've done for your sibling. Like, let's think about that. I don't know. Yeah, that's hard. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's tough. So what about education? You had mentioned some challenges with that. And it sounds like uh, you've had challenges there. So tell us a little bit about what that looks like.
2: Yeah. So Scarlett is four, a four-year-old. And education has already been a huge challenge. Probably our biggest challenge. So, you know, I talked about we leave first steps and then you get thrown to Fayette County Public Schools. And like with first steps, it's like, all these therapists become your friends and like they come to your home to do therapy. And like, you know, they're on Scarlet's team. Like they are 100% team Scarlet, have your back no matter what. And then you go, I went to our first meeting for Fayette County and the girl calls and she's like, Hey, we have this meeting set up. Can you come? It's like mid July. I'm like, I have four kids. Do they come with me? Because first <laughs> of they just came to my house. My kids are running around We make a plan. We go for it. So I show up to this meeting with four kids because the lady said, I'll do whatever works for you. Well, it should have been, if you have someone to help you with your kids, you should get them to help you. But if you cannot, we'll make it work. But I didn't know that. So I show up with four kids and we start working on her IEP, which is an individualized education plan. And it's like how they make sure kids with disabilities are like, thriving and growing throughout the process of their education so the first meeting is about like all these assessments and we're going to assess you know like PTOT speech and they're like hey what about cognition let's you know do you want to do that and you're like hey they want to do another test let's do it and i have four kids in a gym pushing each other in a rolly chair and i'm like sure let's do that and i walk out to my car and i'm like i'm an educator i feel like Looking into her cognition, this could be a problem. And what happens is they evaluate cognition and then they put a label on your kid and then your kid's stuck in a separate classroom. Well, all the research says is the best education for kids with disabilities and their same age peers is inclusion. So that would mean instead of Daniel, I don't know if you grew up how I did, how I grew up was all my typically developing peers, but you're in a classroom, all the kids who were different, we're in a separate classroom down the hall. Is that how it was for you? Yeah. Yeah. So that's how it used to be. But now all the research says is for our kids with disabilities to grow and for our kids without disabilities to grow, all these kids should be educated together. And if our kids with disabilities need help or support, instead of sending them away, you bring teachers in to help them. But if I let them give her this cognitive assessment, that takes away the possibility of inclusion. And it's not supposed to, but it does. So they Um,
1: base it on academic and not disability?
2: So what they'll do is they'll give her a label. So right now her label is a developmental delay. But if I let them give her that test, then they would say she has a mild mental disability or a moderate mental disability. So all these different labels. And they say the label doesn't drive placement like where they are at school. But ironically enough, one of my friends, her son's trying to go to kindergarten. And because he has a mild mental disability, they were trying to put him in a self-contained classroom, even though he had never stepped one day, one foot in the class or in the school, in the classroom, anything as a kindergartner. they were trying to put him separate. Hmm. So they say it doesn't drive placement, but it does. So that was a challenge, just like navigating these meetings. And I quickly learned, like, I will never go to a meeting without someone to help me because to take away me agreeing to do that test, which they didn't perform, just me saying they could do it, took emails and emails and meetings with, like, the director of education for Fayette County. So, like, if listeners have a child with a disability and you're starting public school, have an advocate go with you someone who has done the process before to help you navigate what to say yes or no to so it quickly went from like with first steps we were a team to I feel like with Fayette County Chris and I are Scarlett's team and our advocate and I don't feel like the school's on our team which is sad because they're the people who are going to be with her and educating her and I want them to be on our team and like Even one lady who was at the meeting, she's a preschool teacher, but not Scarlett's. I had to like really fight and be like, you will not give her this test and I will not send her to your school if you do. And then they asked me 15 more times, well, can we give her the test? No, you will not. You may not do it. And as the administrators walked out, the person who was the preschool teacher said, you did such a great job, like standing up for your child. And I'm like, why aren't you helping me? And as I said at the beginning, like I was given the impression that she could come to school if a preschool spot became available. And one became available. I was told she could come. And when I checked in to see when she could come, the tone totally changed. And a couple months later, when I said, Another school says she can come. And if you do not allow her to come to the school, I will not work here and my children will not go to school here. They were ready to investigate if she could come to school. So they formed a committee, put people on this committee. I gave them the names and numbers of people to talk to, to decide if Scarlett was allowed to come to preschool. And it's like, she's potty trained. I'm asking for her to color and walk in a line. Like, I'm not saying that she needs an assistant. I'm not saying you all have to do any accommodations for her just let her come to school and they wouldn't let her. So she learned through Fayette County on zoom for 367 days. That was her preschool.
1: I think the private school setup is some people maybe think that's potentially a better solution, but you know, I, they have, at least the private school I've had experience with, they have like, it's a lot more like the wild west, like They don't have very many rules and regulations. It's a little bit more opinions and feelings, you know? And that's what I learned about private school quickly is I was amazed how much, I guess, opinions and feelings drive the ship in a lot of major decisions. And sometimes those don't correspond well with what you're after. And it sounded like in this situation, that was... And it's sad because that's kind of goes against the mission, I think, of the school. At least that's how I feel is it goes against their mission.
2: Yeah. So the school had never had a child with Down syndrome, although other schools like it have. And after they investigated for a few months, they said she could come in August. So she is allowed to come next year. But the whole year she was on a computer that I was begging them for her to come to school. She wasn't allowed. So she is welcome to go in August but it's like, I've already had, like, you've kind of proved that she's not welcome by the fact that when she needed you most, the door was shut.
1: What do you do in that kind of situation? Do you, because I can feel like two different potential feelings, at least I would feel is like charge forward would be one route and be like, I'll show them right? potentially, or, you know, I'm out like,
2: it was really hard to decide what to do. And actually, I feel like most of the administrators there wanted her there. But there was one that every time I talked to her, she would say things that made me feel like she wasn't welcome. And as you said, in private school, a lot of times the people in their feelings drive things. And I felt like with that person in a position of power at the school, that it wouldn't be a good experience. So I'm not saying we will never go back to that school, but I think things would have to change for us to go back because now there are great teachers. There are great families. There are great administrators. You know, one of the ladies who like helps the kids who do have some learning difficulties, like she was excited at the possibility of my daughter being there. So it wasn't everyone. It wasn't the whole school, but it was some people in the position to make the decisions. And I just could not commit to investing more time and energy and money. And for me to work there, when I felt these feelings that we were not welcome as a family, part of my family was welcome, my kids who tested the 99% dollar welcome. But my child who they don't know how she tests, they had never seen her IEP. They actually had not really even seen her because of COVID. They just assume by her diagnosis that she's not capable, able and worthy to be there. I can't be a part of that. And I do kind of wish I'd be like, okay, let's prove to you that you're wrong, but she's not the type of person that I feel like would ever admit being wrong. And I just couldn't do it.
1: Yeah. Well, it's yeah. either way is challenging situation. And- I imagine that is part of the challenges that come with, me. and that's inf- unfortunate because she's super normal. I mean, like, eat, and even if she's just a great kid and you know well behaved and better behaved than my kids, and you know she's does she's just and sounds like she's smart and all that sort of thing. I think in my private school experience with my children, I w- wish they had more exposure to more diverse. That's the downside too. One of the downsides I feel of private education is I wish my kids had a more diverse experience with other kids. And at this point, it's kind of not very diverse. That's good for kids, right?
2: People Like you need to tell your school that's what you want and that you would support like, so like that you would support that in the budget of the school. Cause like I have a friend and she, her son has gone to private school And at first she tried to fundraise for it and that didn't really work. And she said, the only way it's gonna be successful is if we get our schools to say, we want it in your working budget to have the support needed for kids with disabilities. So your school needs parents like you who don't have kids with disabilities to say, hey, we want children with disabilities included in our school. And we would love for you to put a portion of your budget towards the support or educating the teachers, giving them the professional development they need to support these kids.
1: And that doesn't exist in most private schools.
2: No, I don't think it exists in any private schools. The private schools that I know of that kids with Down syndrome attend, those parents actually have to pay extra money in tuition
0: to Mm -hmm. cover
2: the assistant that the school says the kids need, but the parents don't necessarily think they need.
1: That's ridiculous.
2: And that's another reason why I didn't say yes to next year is because I was told about that and I was like, this is going to be a money pit. Like you all are going to ask me to pay more money, which is actually against the law. If these schools re- like receive funding from the government, which most probably do because of COVID, then it is against the law for them not to accept kids with disabilities as long as they can reasonably accommodate them. Scarlett only needed a stool and I was willing to bring it. So, and to ask them to pay more money in tuition, that actually is against the law as well.
1: Yeah. That sounds crazy to me to request that. I'm surprised that was even, I would just.
2: I think it started as parents saying, I want my kid here. Their siblings are here. You know, I will pay for an assistant. I will do anything to get in the door. Yeah. And then it became the normal and you know, It's not what you're supposed to do, but it's what's being done.
1: Yeah. So if I'm a family that maybe, like in my situation, say I care about this, but I don't have children that that have a disability or whatnot, and what other sorts of things can we do to kind of advocate for more? I don't know what the right word for it is. Inclusion is probably the right word. Because, I mean, that's one of the best things. And your kids are a perfect example. I don't know if you said this already, but I definitely read that you said your kids are better off as a result of Scarlet. And it's definitely good for children to be around a variety of types of, even if it's beyond just cognitive ability or physical ability or even skin color and all that stuff, it's very good for kids to start in an early as age as possible to be around other types of kids. And that's part of the issue is when you don't have them around other types of kids, they kind of get in this bubble and that's some, a lot of times where the problems start, but what can we do as um, people like in my shoes, either with our pocketbook or our voices or whatnot?
2: Yeah. I mean, there's so many things you can do and they can be big and they can be little. Scarlett's in a gymnastics class. And just the fact that like, sometimes the teacher has to help her more, but the parents in the class, they keep their kids in there, you know? So like, keep your kids with disabilities. So even if you're at soccer and the team's running a little slower because you have a child with a disability, don't let that be a reason to pull out and leave Like because we're all bigger, faster, stronger. We want our kid to be the best soccer player. So the coach spends five extra minutes with this kid. They're like, oh, well, that five minutes could have been with my kid. No, just let them be a part of your community. I just think any time like you can include those kids. So, you know, if there are some kids with disabilities, your kids age and they want to be on the soccer team and it looks like mom and dad are struggling, step in and help, you know, like just little things like on the playground, like if there's a kid with a disability, let your kid go up and talk to them and play with them and get to know them. And, you know, me personally, I'm an open book. So I will share my story with anyone and everyone because I hope that it will help them and either help them on their journey or help them with their perspective, like how they see Scarlet or kids like her. Um, because of Scarlet, my kids are the kids who, you know, Millie plays with the one and only white girl in her class and she's one of her best friends. She's not afraid of people who look and act different than her. You know, kids, if there's a kid with a disability on the playground, they're one of the first ones to go play with them, you know? And sometimes they'll ask questions And just kind of teaching them to phrase those questions in a respectful manner, like not what's wrong with her. And like, that's something like we'll see a kid and he's like a double amputee, like instead of what's wrong with her or him or her, it's that's so cool. Like, you know what? He has worked so hard and he is in this karate class with you and we are going to celebrate him and he's super cool instead of like it being something shameful or embarrassing or let's be quiet about it. We all know Scarlett has down syndrome, like her diagnosis is literally on her face. So we don't need to pretend that she doesn't, Um, but we can just, you know, do our best to educate others. She's not bad. She's not scary. She's hardworking And hopefully she'll be really successful. And I'm excited to see, you know, what she does. The Down Syndrome Association in Central Kentucky offers classes and support from birth until like forever. So like they have a lot of like classes. They send kids to college. They have cooking classes. They have classes where you learn to ride a bike.
1: Is DSAC a national thing?
2: DSAC. It's the Down Syndrome Association of Central Kentucky. So it supports like Lexington and the surrounding counties. And then there's like another association in Cincinnati. We also support like some of like the like southeastern counties just because they don't have an association. And literally they will help anyone who calls and asks for help. So donating to DSEC is always a great thing. They also oh, like offer programs for people of all abilities just and that like helps give exposure so like they'll have an all abilities bike camp so that's not just for people who have down syndrome but it's any kid who wants to come so they're trying to like help foster that inclusion by offering things where typically developing kids can participate and get that experience as well Hmm. so i think that's pretty neat
1: yeah that's a good idea yeah awesome well laura thanks for chatting with me and sharing your story. It's been enjoyable. And I'm impressed with you're also parenting in the background. That's
2: Oh, my goodness. I'm so <laughs> sorry. <laughs>
1: you you are a multi talented person over there. So thanks for joining me though.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for like wanting to share and like help others understand what it's like to have a child with Down syndrome and to also like get our community to be supportive. Um, I appreciate that. And I also appreciate you and Allison for always being so supportive and kind. And like Allison's one of those people who, you know, I talked about whenever Scarlett was bored, I was afraid people wouldn't want to be my friend. And I felt like Allison wanted to be my friend more because of Scarlett. You know what I mean? Like she's one of those people that felt like was attracted to her and it was just so sweet Mm -hmm. and kind. And she's always been a good friend.
1: Yeah, well, Thanks for doing that. Well, I appreciate it. And we'll be, I'm sure, in touch soon. I'm going to stop next time I see you on the lemonade stand.
2: <laughs> yeah. And hey, we were talking about other things to add to the lemonade stand. So, I mean, we had a lot of traffic. We had two fire trucks. Nice. So, I mean, we were serving. Were you set up like on the Malibu? Minus.
1: Were you on Malibu set up?
2: Yeah, Malibu and Hunter.
1: Because I think y'all were walking down from, I guess that was Hunter when we were driving by. Yeah. So that's good road frontage there. A lot of traffic there.
2: Oh, yeah. We had lots of good people stop. It was so sweet. So I expect you to stop next time.
1: I will. We're always driving down there. So, all right. Well, good to see you.
2: Thank you, Daniel.
1: And we would love to get to know you better and see if we might be able to help. Feel free to reach out anytime to schedule an introductory meeting. You can find more info about us at w-r-e-n-ne-financial.com.